Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. 14 days from now. 13 days until the most important election of our lifetimes. The countdown is on. Voters will soon go to the polls in the US in what many regard as the most consequential presidential election in a generation. Will the electorate give Donald Trump, the disruptor in chief, another four years in the White House? Well, I think his policies are the number one thing. He's here to protect uh, the Constitution of the United States, law and order. That's the main thing. Or hand the keys to the potentially safer, some might even say saner, hands of his Democratic challenger, Joe Biden. We're very scared if he doesn't win. (laughs) Yeah, you're not Trump fans. Oh, gosh, no. no. National opinion polls continue to give Biden a healthy-looking lead over his opponent, but the race is close in many of the swing states that will decide this election. Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, has been travelling through some of those key states, talking to voters and getting a sense of where the electorate stands as this momentous campaign draws to a close, and she joins me now from Charlotte in North Carolina. Suzanne, you have a report on irishtimes.com today from North Carolina, a really interesting swing state. Tell us why you chose to go there and, and what did you find out? Well, North Carolina is a key battleground state in this election. It's got 15 electoral college votes, so a very substantial state. And traditionally, it's swung between Democrats and Republicans. You know, up until about the George W. Bush time, it was a kind of a reliably conservative state. But over, you know, the last decade or so, or even more, it's kind of flipped between Democrats and Republicans. Now, Democrats are hoping that this year they can win back the state. And in many ways, North Carolina kind of uh, captures this urban rural divide that we see across America. So here in North Carolina, we have particularly in the north of the state, we have uh, towns like Durham and Raleigh, and they're part of what's known as a research triangle. There are a lot of universities up there, Duke University, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, a lot of science research, and that leans heavily Democrat. You've also got certain cities like Charlotte, where I am now, that's a very much an African-American city, a big Democratic vote here. And North Carolina, you know, racial politics are still very significant in the state. Um, going back to the civil rights movements in the 1960s, a lot of the key moments took place in North Carolina. For example, the, the lunch counter sit-in in Greensboro, that's in North Carolina, for example. And, you know, people do vote along those racial lines to an extent still here where the African-American vote tends to vote Democrat. Now, I went to a county just close to, to Charlotte, uh, Gaston County. Donald Trump held a rally there on Wednesday night. And this is one of many rural areas across the state. I mean, dozens of counties where Trump is very, very popular. He won Gaston County by two to one in 2016. And for what I learned there, he's still as popular as ever. Um, I visited uh, the local Republican Party headquarters, if you like, which doubles up as a merchandise store. And it was really busy with people going in, buying their Trump signs. They'd run out of women for Trump, pink hats. Uh, people were signing up for his rally on Wednesday night and huge excitement around his candidacy. And quite a lot of women there, younger people, you know, men in their 40s, you know, all kinds of people in there. Um, although it was predominantly white, I have to say. Um, whereas other people I spoke to uh, during my time there was mostly African-Americans who said they were voting Democrat. So, look, North Carolina is one of those states that I think is going to be closely watched on election night. Um, but I think what's the key issue for both candidates is going to be turnout, because when the margins are very tight in states like this, that's what it comes down to. So you're going to see both sides trying to get out their base, making sure they vote in order to try and get it over the line here. And the people you spoke to, Suzanne, who 
supported Donald Trump the last time and, and say they will vote for him again. In fact, some of them told you they already have voted for him again this time. What's their motivation? Why are they kind of sticking with this president who has been so controversial and so divisive for so many people? Um, a lot of them uh, talk about um, that he's doing the best for the country. You know, you get quite patriotic kind of lines from these people um, who say he's putting America first. Um, uh, when I ask about COVID, it does not seem to be impacting them. They kind of say all the time, well, look, what could he do? It's a pandemic. Every country in the world is is trying to deal with it. So that I just don't think is registering for a lot of those voters. They don't make that connection that Donald Trump is in any way to blame for COVID. These, of course, are people who are going to go to a rally with no masks and, and see Donald Trump. So, you know, they, they don't see COVID as a threat the way other people do. Um, what you do hear a lot is, and this is consistent among all Trump supporters I talk to, they will say, look, we don't like his tweets. We think his language sometimes is a bit over the top. But you know what? He says what he means and we like it. He's not a typical politician. So that's the kind of a reasoning I'm getting here from uh, Trump supporters. Um, but they are motivated. You know, they really are. Um, they have no interest really in Joe Biden. And a lot of the talking points I hear are talking points you hear on Fox News, which is number one, that Joe Biden is a um, a cloak, if you like, for the radical left and that he will be controlled by the more radical elements of his party if he's elected. So that message that the Democrats equal socialism, it is getting through to some extent here to some Republican leaning voters. Now, you also spent um, some time over the past couple of days, Suzanne, in the neighbouring state of South Carolina, um, and people can read your, your report from there on irishtimes.com tomorrow. That state is getting a lot of attention because uh, a very high profile candidate, the Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, is facing a, a strong challenge for his seat from his Democratic rival, Jamie Harrison. Now, before I ask you about the race itself, let's just have a word about Lindsey Graham. He has undergone quite a political journey over the past five years, hasn't he? Yeah, Lindsey Graham is one of the best known senators in Washington, the Republican senator from South Carolina. And um, he was very well known for his friendship with the late John McCain. Um, and he was he was fairly centrist um, for a long time. For example, he um, was very was relatively engaged in the issue of climate change, for example. Um, he talked about working across the aisle. And um, we've got quotes from him talking about how he likes Joe Biden, for example. Um, but in the last few years, we've seen him really throw himself behind Donald Trump. And he's become one of Trump's fiercest supporters on the Hill. Um, and I think people about two years ago when the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were happening, he kind of rose to national fame there because he gave this passionate defense of Brett Kavanaugh. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. And he really ran with that um, that narrative that, that Brett Kavanaugh was being unfairly targeted by de- Democrats. And that really, you know, raised his profile, I think, nationally. So he's now, his own Senate seat uh, is is up for election every six years. Uh, and he uh, is it wants to be re-elect, re-elected for a fourth term. Um, so he is he is quite lucky in the sense that the Amy Coney Barrett hearings are happening 
in Washington. Um, the Senate Judiciary Committee are due to vote on them on Thursday uh, in Washington. So that's kind of put him uh, back on the TV, put him back at the heart of things. He is now the chairman of that committee. So he's hoping that that's going to play well back in his home state of South Carolina. I mean, I'm talking about North Carolina here. South Carolina um, is, has some of those similar demographics I'm talking about, the change, but it's still more conservative, I think, than places like North Carolina. So, you know, people have to remember that a lot of people here voting for Donald Trump, voting for Lindsey Graham, are very motivated by pro-life issues, are very motivated by the idea of Supreme Court justice be coming from a conservative standpoint. Those kind of cultural issues really play on people's uh, political decision-making in states like South Carolina here in the Deep South. And tell us about the challenge Lindsey Graham then is facing from Jamie Harrison. Is he in danger of losing his seat? Yeah, this is a fascinating race. This is the one to watch, I think, um, this this year in the Senate. So Jamie Harrison is a very um, charismatic uh, man. He's 44-year-old. He was the first African-American to lead the Senate of the South Carolina Democratic Party in his state. Uh, he grew up in poverty and it's a real rags to riches story. He studied in Yale in Georgetown Law. Um, now, he did work for a time with uh, Podesta, a, a kind of lobbyist firm in Washington. And, you know, that's he's getting a bit of criticism for that because he's very much seen as a kind of democratic insider. Lindsey Graham is running Sorry, so just of, to remind the listeners, John Podesta, the, this the former Democratic Party chairman. And his family, exactly. And his family, Podesta's family are involved in a lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, it's it's an example of Harrison being very aligned to the Hillary Clinton kind of democratic establishment. So we've already seen Lindsey Graham run some ads showing Jamie Harrison alongside Hillary Clinton. So, you know, Graham obviously believes that this anti-Hillary Clinton line will play well with his supporters. Um, but look, he is, there's huge energy. I was driving throughout the state yesterday and I mean, the ads are everywhere around Harrison. You know, he's, he, and, the, and, the, and the really interesting thing about this is the money he has raised. He has broken records, $57 million he raised in the third quarter. Um, huge amount of money coming in for his campaign. Now, the concern and the, the red light is that a lot of this money is coming from out of state not from South Carolina itself. So there's a lot of echoes of Beto O'Rourke's run for the Senate in Texas two years ago. But we know how that ended up. Beto O'Rourke didn't win, ultimately. He had huge money behind him, he had huge national interest, but it wasn't enough for him to dislodge Ted Cruz. So people are worried, you know, all the energy around him, will he actually get it over the line now? Um, but he is dwarfing Graham in terms of ads. And uh, I think the bigger problem really for Senator Lindsey Graham is, you know, I was talking to some people, they're kind of tired of him. He's been around forever, uh, they feel. And um, he also kind of encapsulates a problem facing some senators where, you know, how far do you align yourself with Donald Trump? Trump is popular in South Carolina. So he has, as I explained, kind of really become, you know, out Trump Trump in the last few months. But I think a lot of... Um, a lot of people in state, real conservatives, are suspicious about, you know, how loyal is he to Donald Trump? So he's got that to battle with. And then the more he backs Donald Trump, that puts off a lot of independent, moderate Democrats who might like him, but really don't like Donald Trump. So he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, really, on that and how to position himself. But there was some good news for him in the last week or so. Um, a New York Times Siena College poll did put Graham ahead. Um, and, you know, I think this Amy Coney Barrett hearing is helping him. It's kind of reminding people in South Carolina conservative voters why they vote for Donald Trump, why they need to vote Republicans, because they can get these conservative judges 
appointed to you know to bench to the bench and they feel you know what maybe if they're a bit sick of of Lindsey Graham so what at least they're going to have the ultimate um achievement which will be you know pushing and not as many conservative judges and justice onto courts around the country while they can. Now, we spoke a bit last week about Florida because you were there at the time and you, know, you took you took some further soundings afterwards. There are swing states and swing states, but Florida really is pivotal, isn't it? Yeah. And Chris, I think even, you know, to speak to you now, since I've been there last Saturday, it's just so interesting to see the candidates putting in uh, more and more resources and time and money into the state. It's hugely important. 29 electoral college votes. It's traditionally extremely tight state. And Donald Trump really needs to win this. If he does not win this on election night, he's going to be in big trouble. And actually, just for people to know, I mean, we expect to get an um, an election result relatively early from Florida the night of the election and they're actually quite uh, experienced when it comes to postal voting and that kind of thing in saying that we all remember what happened 20 years ago uh, with the hanging chads and uh, the delay in the final result of the election because of a discrepancy the hanging chads is just remind people again what the hanging chads were were. for the younger listeners among us including myself um, they were uh, literally pieces little bits of paper where the punch holes um, when people voted, um, it wasn't clear if they'd actually punched a hole or not because little bits of paper were kind of hanging off uh, the ballot. And um, in these, in, in certain counties in, in Florida, it came down to counting this, you know, is this actually a vote for this person or is it not? So for well over, I mean, four weeks, um, recounting went on in Florida. The whole world was looking at what was happening to these specific ballots in Florida. And then finally, the Supreme Court ruled had to come in and weigh in on it. And they ruled for George W. Bush and sent him to the White House. So, look, it, it may not and happen. And it came down, sorry to cut in against yeah. somebody, because you wrote about this last Saturday yeah. and it was a really interesting piece. It came down to 500 and something votes out of 6 million. That's, yeah. that's what really decided. Something, yes, exactly. The, the US so election. That's what yeah. decided the election. And of course, Al Gore had won the popular vote. So it was one of those moments in US history that kind of reminded of everybody about the the problems essentially with the US electoral college system. And at one point, Al Gore had, you know, declared, you know, conceded to George W. Bush. Then he rang him and retracted his concession. This all went on on election night. Um, And I think what's actually very significant this year is that the fact that the Supreme Court did weigh in because interestingly, and this is kind of a fun fact this election, three of the justices now, if, if we assume that Amy Coney Barrett will be appointed and we think she will be, she, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts, they were all involved in some way in litigation related to that case, believe it or not, in their former lives and their former careers. So we could very, very easily have the Supreme Court coming in to judge, you know, something on the court. Maybe it won't be the same. Maybe it won't be Florida, but it could be Pennsylvania, for example. So it is quite interesting. Now, Coney Bar- Barrett was asked about this, you know, has Donald Trump asked her any any kind of favours essentially before nomination? She said no. But like, that's one to watch, I think, once the election results come in. So yeah, so but but one good thing about the Florida, um, you know, debacle 20 years ago is that I, I did learn when I was down there, you know, they're, they're quite organised at postal voting. So they're out there, they're very organised, they're sending out their absentee ballots, whereas other states are much more behind on this. Um, but I mean, what's interesting now, as we're now 12 days away for the election, since I was there last weekend, um, Donald Trump is going back on Friday. He's going to campaign in the villages. This is a huge retirement community in the middle of Florida where he is very popular, but he's worried. Polls are suggesting that his support is falling there 
because of its handling of COVID, essentially. A lot of these older Americans um, are, are being turned off the president. Um, and then Barack Obama, who spoke, his first big campaign event for Joe Biden took place on Wednesday night in Philadelphia. He is going to Miami on Saturday. He's going to be giving a rally there. So, you know, it's an example of how important this state is and how tight it is. The polls are very, very tight here. Um, and actually, one positive for Republicans, which is just emerging now, is that they seem to have registered more voters. Figures are suggesting that they're, they've been very good on the ground at getting their Republican uh, people to register. So, you know, it, that, that could really, really help them on Election Day. I uh, campaigned with some Hispanic, um, like Spanish speaking volunteer for um, the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. And I have to say, Chris, I mean, it's again anecdotal, but all the, the Cuban-Americans I spoke to were just absolutely pro-Trump. You know, again, there was, there was nobody there who I saw from where I campaigned with this guy that was going to vote Democrat. So as, as, I, as I explained, Florida is quite unique. It's got um, a very specific and, of course, it's very important not to kind of treat the Latino community like one block, same with the Irish American community. But um, so the Cuban Americans, the um, the Venezuelan Americans uh, in Miami, they do tend to vote Republican because many of them have left kind of socialist country. So this message of the Democrats being a socialist party really does resonate with them. So that's a, a, a problematic area for jo Joe Biden. And he generally isn't that um, popular with Hispanics. So that's probably one of the reasons Barack Obama is going to Miami next Saturday. Now, Suzanne, regular readers will have seen your reports from other swing states as well, like Arizona, Pennsylvania, Minnesota and so on. Based on your, your travels and research to date, what's your, your own overriding feeling of the state of this race in, in those swing states that will decide the outcome? Yeah, so Arizona is a very interesting one. Um, and I mean, I think I, I feel that that is one of the so-called Sunbelt states. They're the, you know, like Texas, Nevada, Arizona. But Arizona is one of those kind of states that um, Democrats are very confident they, they may win. And um, Donald Trump was back in Arizona last week. But again, a lot of energy around his campaign there from conservative voters. So again, they're going to be trying to get that vote out. But I think Arizona is really battling those demographic changes, huge influx of people into the greater Phoenix area. Um, as someone said, you know, people are coming from California and they're bringing their politics with them. So um, that's a problem. And that's the issue for Donald Trump. I mean, his, his path to victory is still you know, the, the, the working class white male vote in places like, you know, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, he probably needs to win two of those states. Um, and, and the numbers are pretty tight in places like Wisconsin. I mean, it's very difficult to gauge how that's going to go for him. But I think the real worry is that he's now on the defensive in some state that he won the last time. So, OK, Florida was always tight, but, you know, states like Arizona, he's now really having to put time and energy there. Even states like Georgia, that he comfortably won the last time around. He campaigned uh, there last Friday. So that's costing him money. It's costing him time. It's putting his campaign on the defensive there, trying to protect states they already won. Um, so if Democrats were going to win one of those states, like Georgia or Texas, which is possible, but probably the least possible, or Arizona, you know, it'd be a huge blow for Donald Trump. Um, so, look, he's very much on the back foot. But as I say, I think one of the positives for Republicans is this issue of voter registration. And if they have more registered Republicans who are going, going out to vote, that is very important. And that's kind of what I saw in Miami. Some of the uh, people who said they were Democrat or weren't, weren't crazy about Trump, 
they they didn't sound like they were going to vote. They sounded disinterested. They don't really like Biden. They don't really like Trump. They're not going to vote. Whereas the Trump people in Miami were extremely motivated and are absolutely going to go out and vote. So that's why you'll probably have that line, I'd say, from Obama. He spoke about it in Philadelphia on Wednesday night, all about the, the right to vote, how, you know, um, people in civil rights movement fought for that power to, to cast a vote and that Americans need to. He talked about the danger of complacency, essentially. So I think that's going to be the focus. It, at this stage, Chris, I don't think it's about winning over new voters at all, really, in many states. The swing voter really doesn't exist to the same extent as it did because Donald Trump is so polarizing. So now it's about getting out your people on the day. Now, you mentioned um, Barack Obama there and his um, very high profile rally last night, and he didn't hold back in his criticisms of Donald Trump. And just yesterday, when asked if he'd do anything differently, Trump said, not much. Really? Not much? Nothing you can think of that could have helped some people keep their loved ones alive? How significant do you think his involvement in the campaign will prove to be in the, in the closing stages? I think it will be, actually, and I think it's going to get more so. The timing of this is very interesting. He's really ramping it up with 12 days to go. So Philadelphia Wednesday, um, Miami Saturday, as I said, and we're expecting him to also visit other swing states, maybe Michigan next week. You know, look, he is uh, Joe Biden's best surrogate. There is no doubt about it. Um, he was highly energized in his campaign event on Wednesday night in Philly. Um, he was, you know, bounding off the stage. He was... Um, he was passionate. He was articulate. Um, he had a good balance of criticizing Donald Trump. He, he talked very effectively, very clearly about health care. And this is a theme I think the Democrats are going to return to and really does, you know, um, make a difference to people in this country. He said, you know, where is this great plan to replace Obamacare? They've 10 years to do it. They've no plan. They never had one. Those kind of issues about Trump and he, he called out his behavior. And then he kind of pivoted to a broader, more passionate uh, discourse about, you know, the importance of the right to vote, um, about Joe Biden restoring America's standing in the world. You know, he said, you know, America is a good and decent place. We need enough of this noise and nonsense you know, we, you know, let's just vote this out, this guy out and we can kind of get back to some kind of normality. So really connecting with Americans there. So I think he is very important in saying that, uh, Chris, he was there the night before the Hillary Clinton campaign saying a lot of the same things. And we know how, how that turned out. As Donald Trump himself underlined last night, of course. Yes, exactly. There was nobody that campaigned harder for crooked Hillary Clinton than Obama, right? He was all over the place. He said he will not be our president. But before that, he said he will not run. He didn't know me. And like Donald Trump is right. He's saying, I've seen this before. You know, I, Joe Biden, for example, is outraising him in money, but so did Hillary Clinton. And that wasn't enough to get him over the line. So and um, the Trump campaign put out a statement yesterday saying that Joe Biden is not up to the campaign, the rigors of a campaign trail. So he's sending out his former boss to campaign for him. And I think there's a little bit... Um, of a, of a challenge now for Joe Biden. I mean, he's been very, very low pro profile this week. T tonight, Thursday night is the debate and his team has said he is uh, preparing for that debate. But, you know, the Trump campaign are saying, well, how long do you need to prepare for this? You know, we haven't really seen him this week. You know, I think he would need to kind of um, rectify that in the last week. Um, yes, he is playing the card of I'm the responsible leader. I'm not going to go out and hold big rallies and put myself and other people in danger. But there is a balance to be uh, reached on this. And I think he does need to maybe 
uh, increase his appearances in the last week to counter these criticisms against his his stamina, essentially. Okay, Suzanne. Well, we look forward to that debate tonight and and reading your take on it tomorrow. But we'll leave it there for now. Thanks for that. Um, Suzanne's US election diary appears every morning on irishtimes.com. You can sign up to get it by email at irishtimes.com forward slash newsletters. And you can access our full coverage of the election at irishtimes.com forward slash US election. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. 